as hard as you think this moment is, you might be forgetting how capable you are or you wouldn't still be alive. Welcome to the Innovator's Edge podcast, a series of conversations focused on innovation in the insurance industry, brought to you by Innovator's Edge and IE Advisory. Hi, I'm Paul Winston, and today we're speaking with Brian Falchuk, the founder and managing partner of Insurance Evolution Partners, which advises carriers and their partners on how to navigate an evolving industry facing disruption and change. Brian has also authored a new book titled The Future of Insurance, From Disruption to Evolution, which comes out next week. Welcome, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on, Paul. It's our pleasure. Um, so, Brian, maybe to start, if you can just tell us a little bit about uh, what Insurance Evolution Partners does and, and maybe your background in the insurance industry. Sure. Yeah, so um, I think if, if I give a quick view of my background, you'll understand where Insurance Evolution Partners comes in. Um, I'm a, a PNC carrier veteran, either directly working at carriers or on the consulting side. I spent time at McKinsey and Company in their uh, their PNC practice. But you know, I worked at at a few carriers, from the the big generalists to a couple of uh, specialists. Um, I worked at, at uh, Beasley and Hiscox in particular, and I was the head of claims for Hiscox U.S. business for a number of years. Um, I left Hiscox to join an, an insurtech startup, so I got to see a totally different side of the equation, and that gave me a really, I think, unique and interesting perspective. Uh, first of all, being on the other side of the table, trying to get time with people instead of trying to fend, uh, you know, yet another vendor call off. But <laughs> more importantly, to talk to so many different carriers about their technology, about their customer experience, where they're struggling, uh, where they're feeling pressure and where they need help moving ahead. And it was in those conversations that the idea for Insurance Evolution Partners, but also for my book came together. And so I left the InsureTech at the end of last year. I'm an advisor to them instead of an employee now and, mm -hmm. uh, and started to work on this book and help some carriers and also some of these um, InsureTech enablers, I would call them, you know, the, the, the InsureTechs who are there to support the ecosystem, to support the carriers, uh, help them navigate the carrier world and help the carriers navigate their world. So um, IEP really, is, uh, is the bringing together of the, the two halves of my insurance career, if you will. And is, is the book also sort of serve both sides as well, or is it really yeah. aimed at, at one side or the other? So I think the primary audience and, and the way it's written is, um, you know, it, it's focused on the carriers, but the reality is having lived on the other side, I know that that perspective and that insight is really valuable for those enabling tech providers because it helps you understand who is the person that you're trying to connect with what are the pressures they face how are they trying to navigate it and if these are paths to success how can you have a hand in that so that because obviously it's, it's in your best interest as an insure tech uh, provider service provider enabler whatever to make sure that the carrier is successful because that's you know that's why they'll re-up their licenses next year or you know whatever your your business model is um, so I do think it it can serve both sides of them, but the the voice is certainly written uh, directed at carriers, but I know that there's value on both sides. 
Well, and if, if there's, a, you know, an important mantra and in innovation in sort of standing in the shoes of your customer, then it makes a lot of sense that the insure techs need to really understand the world that their customers are coming from. Yeah. And not to jump ahead, but that is literally the first overarching takeaway from the book is that your customers have the answer. So if you're not putting yourself in their shoes, but more importantly, actually getting there in front of them and not just presuming what they think and want, then you're inevitably not going to succeed. Well, let's, let's talk about the book. Uh, yeah. The, you know, the title, uh, you know, from disruption to evolution, it, it's, it sort of describes the industry's response to when InsureTechs first came on the scene and yeah. all this activity. How have you seen that that develop from this this external threat to hey, this is something that we sh we should do ourselves, and and there are partners yeah. that can help us. Well, and it's interesting because th this period that I write about, we're still in the midst of. There's still, you know, the startup carriers are, are cropping up with better ways to do the things that we in the industry have always done. And frankly, customers don't want to do them that way anymore because every other part of their life where they're doing something similar has evolved. Um, if you go back to the first disruptive period that I talk about is 2000 and, that, you know, around 2099, 2001, um, where that really was a disruption to evolution moment because the talk was agents and brokers are going to be gone. It's going to be these exchanges. No one's going to work the way they used to. And of course, that didn't happen. None of those ex exchanges exist today. All of those brokers are pretty much all of those brokers and agents still do, or perhaps they're a part of someone else who still does. But, you know, the, the space is, is alive and well, mm -hmm. but it evolved. You know, there are different tools, the way we work, the things that, that we use to get the job done evolved. And I think that's what we are working towards now. The difference is it's not just agents and brokers that are being potentially disrupted or where the threat lies. It's actually now on the carrier side. You know, there's always been new carriers cropping up. That's not new, but they were really just um, new incarnations of a traditional carrier. Now what you have is the tech is not just creating enabling insurtechs, it's creating new carriers who don't have a lot of the legacy structure or legacy constraints that traditional carriers would face. And that's very different. And of course, they're being started by people who aren't necessarily insurance people. Some are, but mm -hmm. some are just pure tech people or people who've had success in another industry. They see room to improve how insurance products and services are delivered and they think they can do that. And so they come in and frankly, some of them have done some really fantastic things on the customer experience side. What's interesting though is most, if not all of them, continue to struggle with the core insurance side. So the, the actual, like the really hard part of insurance is the risk management, the risk transfer, the dealing with the capital and making sure you're using it efficiently getting people's lives back together when they fall apart in these, you know, the terrible things that claims are there, claims departments are there to stand by people during and dealing with frequency and severity. And how do you forecast that out? Because if you don't get that right, that's your whole business. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. That's been a struggle for a lot of the startups, whereas they've gotten the CX side, you know, the, the customer experience side, really, really, they've, they've done a really great job in there. So it's an interesting period that we're still very much in the midst of. And, you know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm sharing these ideas to try to help the, uh, the industry see a path through this period 
that works for everybody. Because I, I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think it's, you know, one startup versus one incumbent and one has to die for the other to live. I don't think that's reality. Um, I think some will make it, some won't on both sides of those equations. And for some, it may be that they stop to exist. And for others, it may be that they're acquired or, you know, become part of someone else. Um, but it's, I don't think it's a binary decision. I think it's an interesting early day situation we face. So the question is, how do we navigate that successfully? And, and from, from your perspective, you know, what's the, how, how is the industry doing, I guess? What, what is the, how are they viewing this evolution? Are, yeah. is it, is it, is it a movement or is it just, you know, there, there's some out at the leading edge that are embracing it and others are still. It's a mix. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so this is, this is where like the genesis of the book came from is, when I was at the startup, you know, going around the country to all these different carriers and, you know, everyone lists someone in the top, maybe 20 when they start naming carriers, that's fine. And that's a big chunk of the market, but actually there are thousands of carriers and there's some who are, you know, sub hundred million dollars, very tight geography that they focus on. There's a lot of insurers out there and a lot of them do feel stuck. And that's the conversation that I had repeatedly is, you know, we go in there, we're talking about doing something different, something innovative, and you see the apprehension start to set in because that's not how they work. That's not what they get to do. There's um, a resistance to it, whether it's resistance at the top or it's resistance or perceived resistance amongst the people to change. And so that is a lot of what I got back is, oh, you know, that sounds great, but that's, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to do this tech stuff. We're too far behind. We've, you know, our culture won't accept it. Our people won't change. Our CEO is uncomfortable with these sorts of things, or you're only this many years old. You know, we would never work with a company that's less than 20 years old. Um, you know, oh, you work with one of our competitors. Well, how do we know you're not going to give away all of our secrets? Just, <laughs> you know, concern after concern. And the reality is like, these are valid points. They're not fake. Um, you know, to say like, well, we're regulated. Okay, that is absolutely true. And you need to be careful about that. You need to do things in a way that doesn't run afoul of those regulations. But what it doesn't mean is you can't do anything. You know, the solution that I was representing to people was a texting solution. One of our main competitors was not of the insurance industry. So I know for myself, when I was evaluating solutions, as soon as I, I got under the skin with them, I was like, I can't work with these guys. They don't meet any of my regulatory needs. You know, something simple like transcripts. Okay, well, you have to have a written record of everything that's said. You can't have side conversations that you never have a record of because what happens if there's coverage litigation? You know, if you're doing this in an underwriting file and the underwriter's texting with the broker and implying coverage, what happens when a claim comes in for that thing that was implied? If you don't have any record of that, you're potentially going to have a lawsuit. Um, you know, if the DOI comes in and does a market conduct, you can't just not have any record. So you must have transcripts and you have to get those into the claim file or the underwriting record easily. If someone doesn't accommodate for that, well, then they're not going to meet the regulatory burden or the reality of working in insurance. The answer isn't no, you can't text. The answer is if you text, you need to make sure that you have a written record of everything that's going on and it needs to be in that core file. So it's not, it's not an inherent no, it's a sensitivity or an accommodation or an understanding of what some of those barriers are. Mm -hmm. And you can't just laugh the barriers off, which is what 
you know, some of these companies do is, oh, you don't need that. Stop worrying so much. You're being a typical insurance company. Well, hang on. It's a real point. Those regulations are real. The lawsuits are real. The cultural norms and the politics in the company, as much as you may not like them, they're still there. And so the question is, how can we work through that instead of ignoring it or viewing it as a wall that we can't move through? And in, in turned turned in the other direction, it, as more insurtechs have been exposed and in, in to some of these issues that, that yeah. carriers, incumbents are dealing with, regulatory issues and you know, liability environments and so on, yeah. that there's there's a there's a reason behind some of these industry practices or yeah. processes. It's not just because we're inept, which yeah. I think is what some you know. I was at ITC last year, and the founder of of an insurtech carrier sat next to me during a break, and he was just going on and on about how stupid we all are. I mean, he didn't know that I was one of those people, but um, you know, we just, we don't get it. We're dinosaurs. We're not. And, and I just kind of smiled and nodded. And I thought to myself, chances are he won't be here next year, but all of those fools that he's talking about from those old carriers, they will be. Um, He's hubris doesn't serve anyone. And that goes on both sides. You know, if you're, if you're an existing carrier and you think, well, I don't need to do that because I've got my market share or because I, you know, I've been here for a hundred years. Fantastic. You have a great legacy behind you that you can stand from, but that doesn't mean you can't look forward. And I think that's important is hubris is, is the, uh, it's the kryptonite on both sides of the equation. It's not just for the startups. Interesting. Interesting. Well, tell us a little bit about your book and, and maybe yeah. des- describe, describe the book and, and, you know, what you hope readers will come away with when they yeah. read it. Um, so, you know, the, the setup for the book is this context I was just talking about where we are in a different period of disruption. You know, it's, it's the one I was just alluding to before. And so that's the, that's the context we exist in and we have all those constraints. So then the question is, well, how do we navigate through that given what our constraints are? And I'm someone who likes stories. So I didn't want to just spew my views on things. Um, I wanted to actually get into stories. And the good thing is through my travels and through my relationships, I've come to know a number of carriers who have done things despite all those barriers and those constraints and, you know, sort of in the face of the pressures that they face. So, um, I was able to have seven carriers that were willing to participate. And I thought it was really important that this not just be a survey of existing literature or you know, press releases and kind of rewriting the story that's out in the public domain. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be firsthand interviews from the people who actually did the stuff, telling about what happened, good and bad. Um, and I insisted that the carriers be willing to share names and including their own name. So seven carriers that there's no carrier X in the book or carrier one or two. They're all the carriers. It's CSAA, um, CNA, the State Comp Fund of California, uh, Ohio Mutual Group, Employers, AXA XL, and USAA. And they all share something that they've done that's been innovative across the spectrum. So some underwriting things and, and sales and distribution, claims things. And then USAA's is, is the last case. It's a little bit different from the others where it's sort of, um, it's like a meta case. It's how they evolved or they innovated innovation itself. So they had an innovation function. You know, USA is pretty well regarded across the industry and, and across industries um, for their innovation, you know, including their banking 
uh, banking entity and, and everything. Um, but they decided, you know, this, this is great and it's done a lot for us, but it's not necessarily going to keep us going forward because things are changing and we need more of a connection to the customer. So they uh, almost reinvented, uh, or I should say augmented, because they kept their core innovation unit and then they created some units within their business hmm. to get closer to the issues. And they restructured how they thought about their portfolio of innovative products, which, which I think is really interesting. Um, so a number of different cases. And the, the idea is no, you don't have to read all of them. You can pick the ones that seem relevant to you. I, I think they're all worth reading and it's not a hugely long book. So hopefully you know, people <laughs> want to read the whole thing. But um, it's none of the cases is about what the case is about, if that makes sense. It's not about that technology or that project. So for example, I mentioned CNA. They worked with a French AI company called Shift Technology to implement a new fraud solution. They were the first in, in the US to do it with Shift. So it was kind of a big deal. Um, you know, it was untested here. So that was, it was a risk to take. The point of that case is not to say if Carrier X out there is thinking about addressing fraud, then read the CNA case and mirror exactly what they did, which means working with Shift in this way on these lines in this time. That's not the point. If you do that, fantastic. I'm sure it'll go really well. But the point of the CNA case is to read through what they were facing, how they resolved it, why they chose to look at an outside provider versus building an in-house, which they looked at thoroughly. They looked at a number of different providers. Why did they choose Shift? What made for a, a more successful versus less successful implementation? And what could you take in-house? You may not be looking at fraud or claims at all, you could be looking at something in distribution, but that CNA case may resonate for you. So it's not about anything specific to the case. It's about the situation that's going on there and the nuances to it that may strike a chord with you so that you can bring that into your own context. And do, you know, without giving too much away, you know, do in, in any of these cases, do you sort of chart how some of the internal sort of challenges that, that yeah. a company had to overcome to, to come to something like shift, yeah. um, you know, that it, you mentioned that they looked at me, you know, maybe we can do this internally, but it, a lot of times there's, there's this cultural sort of, ah, this is all new and we don't really want to go in that direction. We're comfortable yeah. where we are and, and yeah. overcoming that is, is often critical. Yeah. I think, I think you see that you also see some of the like, well, we can build this ourselves mm -hmm. or, you know, to be fair to the IT organization for a CIO to say, we'll let someone else build it may mean that their world's getting smaller, <laughs> you know, and it, yeah. whether, whether they're doing that in, you know, whether they're railing against that intentionally or not is human nature that uh, essentially you're being attacked. You know, the, the move to the cloud is a huge threat to IT organizations because you don't need a data center anymore or you need a much smaller one than you used to have. So if you're the CIO who said yes to that, well, you're doing a great thing for the business, what does that mean for your organization? So it's, it can be a hard pill to swallow, no doubt. And, and those sorts of decisions come up time and time again as you look at any external build versus buy kind of decision. So yeah, there, there's some of that. Um, there are there are a number of really interesting um, constraints that different carriers faced in the book that, you know, if you think you have it 
hard or you've got, you know, no one else was going through what I'm going through. Well, that might be true, but, you know, throughout the state comp fund in California, their staff's unionized and they're civil <laughs> servants and they answer to Gavin Newsom, you know, to the governor of California, not to shareholders or mutual policyholders or no one. They're a state entity. So you talk about constraints and you talk about culture, you talk about politics, like that's actual politics. That's not just a term for, you know, the, the way things go in your organization. Um, there are complications that they face and considerations they face that I don't think a single other carrier in this country faces, yet they were able to do it. Um, and I, it's, it's really great the way the carriers were honest about that. Um, you know, AXA XL called out that like their IT, the IT guy who was working on their stuff for them could have very easily said like, we have to build all this. And look, it's AXA XL. They're one of the biggest financial organizations in the world. Like they could come up with the resources to do this in house. But he recognized like as much as we might want to do that, we're not going to do it as quickly as well and keep it going in the same way that this external partner could. So that honesty, I think, is is pretty amazing. Um, I even had, you know, not not to keep going back to the state comp fund, but their CEO, when he read the draft of the case, you know, it's a little bit hairy when you send them the case and, and you're expecting like the legal department's going to say, oh, you know, you need to be nicer about this or you can't say that or we'd prefer you not say that we did this. Um, that's what you expect going in. And the only feedback, I mean, I got like, you know, you'd had a typo here kind of stuff, but the main point that Vern Steiner, their CEO raised was, um, you're way too nice on us at this, in this part of the, the story. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, they, for people that don't know their story, they rocketed up to being the largest comp carrier in the country when the situation in California changed between regulation and market performance. And so they, they suddenly ballooned in size, um, took on a lot of business that the commercial market just pulled away from. So people didn't have a choice. And then when the situation changed back, almost overnight, they shrank to being even smaller than they were before they ballooned up. And that's the part he said I was being too kind on. He said, we didn't shrink just because competitors came into the market. We shrank because we didn't deserve that business and we weren't servicing it the way it deserved to be serviced. So as soon as anyone had another option, they took it. So we were not living up to what we should have been doing and didn't deserve the business we had. And that's why we lost out. And I was like, that is incredibly honest. Um, he didn't have to change, you know, he didn't have to tell me to change any of that, but I, I was really moved by how much the carriers insisted on a genuine take on what happened, good or bad. Um, and that's, you know, that's a pretty extreme example, but you find that throughout people were honest with what happened. That's great. And just that they're willing to share, you know, yeah. I think, I think that's it. it the insurance is an, ex, in, an enormously competitive industry. It always yeah. has been, but you know, that there's this willingness to say, Oh, we'll tell our story because everybody needs to get better at this. Yeah. But you know, like the conference, the conference stage version of it is everything's perfect. Like we did this great, you know, this great new thing and it went this way and really smooth to market. And then like you hear what actually happened. It was like, well, six people quit because they were so miserable and like the first three versions failed. And when it went live, it didn't actually work. We had people doing it behind the scenes, but like no one tells that story. You know, they just give you like the pretty slides and they've got their 15 minutes and it all sounds great. That's not <laughs> valuable. You know, again, like this wasn't a press release based book. 
these are the real stories, good and bad. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's where you, that's what you actually learn from. You need to know what really happened and why. That's great. So, you know, from your perspective, just I'll ask you a little bit of question, your perspective in monitoring this space and how the, the insurance industry is doing. Take our current situation. You know, yeah. we're in the middle of an economic shock, you know, from COVID-19. It's yeah. affecting all parts of our industry and certainly the insurance industry. What does that do for efforts to innovate? Does it does it help companies accelerate them because everything's changed and we've got a yeah. we, we have an opportunity to get ahead, or does it cause some companies to say, you know, we're really busy right now with this. Yeah. We need to put we innovation to on the back on. burner. Yeah. yeah. Well, I th- I think um, both it's both of those things, and it mm-hmm. this is this is the big dilemma. And actually, there's a ton of webinars about exactly this. Is like this is the time to innovate, and this is the trouble because carriers who are not used to working remotely have to. And kudos to them for getting spooled up to do that as quickly as they did. Um, so that you know that took innovation, but it's really interesting that we don't then say, hey, wait, if we just did this thing that maybe we were thinking about possibly doing at some potential point, like every, you know, they're sort of like hedging at every every word they can. Like we might maybe think about possibly working from home occasionally at some point in the future to suddenly they're doing it 100%. Mm-hmm. If you can do that within, I think the longest I heard is it took us two weeks to get up and running. Um, you know, and there's other carriers who did it next day, just depending on what tools they had. If you can get that stuff up and running, doesn't that suggest you're way more technically capable and delivery capable than you might have thought you were? So I think there's, it's important to remember that. It's like I always say to people, my other books are all self-help. And one of the messages I keep reminding people is as hard as you think this moment is, you might be forgetting how capable you are or you wouldn't still be alive. Just remember that you've been through, you've gotten through every single tough moment you've faced before, or you wouldn't be here. And at some point you need to start giving yourself credit for that. So I think there's an aspect that it's like for some carriers, this woke them up to what they can actually turn around, but it's a tough situation because they do have to keep the lights on. They have to keep servicing customers and they may have been feeling like this is not working as well, they're more constrained or, or it's touch and go, so we need to be careful and we don't wanna change things or just our people are now spread out. So how do you deploy this stuff? How do you develop it if your developers aren't together in a room, you know, doing a stand up or a scrum meeting or other agile and tech terms that I don't actually know. <laughs> um, I'll just throw out like I do. Um, you know, it's, it, it can be tough. Uh, the reality is while it is different, it doesn't have to be harder. It's different. But the carriers who are moving ahead, it's a little bit of not quite green space, but there's less traffic on the road because mm-hmm. some are sidelined. And so for those who recognize that opportunity and are willing to push right now, and by the way, you may need some of these innovative tools because of the fact that you're working remotely. And we think we're going back to the office or maybe we're starting to, but we may be going back home again. So it's not like those needs are going away and your customers' lives are very different and their demands are different. And the way that they're consuming the products that lead to them needing coverage is changing. There's demand shifts underlying pretty much every major sector in the economy right now. So to me, this is absolutely a time to be thinking about innovating. And it's almost more important to recognize that 
there's a whole new generation of tools and providers out there that are lighter weight, more flexible, and are built to be deployed remotely. I mean, it's the whole nature of the cloud. You don't have to have everyone together in your home office to do some of this stuff. So I think this is an important time to be looking at moving ahead, even if in only a few specific areas. And I understand the pressure to want to wait. Um, I don't think that that is a winning strategy. I think it's quite dangerous because those who move ahead will be eating market share when things start to resume. Excellent, Brian. I think uh, I, I really like sort of throughout hearing you describe the book and, and the case studies and so on. It's it's a it's a very hopeful message. Yeah. And and you know hopefully. <laughs> hopefully lets other insurers and, and insure techs understand, Hey, there's a way for us to work together. And, and yeah. this is, is certainly within reach. So yeah. um, where should, where can our listeners get a copy of the book and when does it come out? So it officially launches June 24th, but it's available now for pre-order in some formats and it's actually fully available in others. Uh, so like the audible version just went live yesterday. I have no control over that. Audible puts them up when they want. Um, so it's, it's out there. And the easiest way to get it is to go to future-of-insurance.com. And every format, every option, I'm linking it up there. So you pick what you want. And there's a little link to get the book at the top, drops down a menu and you pick, you know, I want paperback, Kindle, Apple Books, whatever. And it will take you right through to that. So future-of-insurance.com. Terrific. Well, Brian, thank you very much for, for sharing uh, your thoughts and, and uh, news about the book with us. Thank you very much, Paul.